Red Apple Media Podcast Network presents This is Protecting America. Now, here's Emmy-winning journalist Rita Cosby. And welcome to another edition of Protecting America. The Russian onslaught of Ukraine continues as Ukrainian citizens and also military courageously fight for their freedom. And joining us now to discuss this is General Keith Kellogg. He's a former national security advisor to then Vice President Pence and also President Trump. He is also the author of a great book, War by Other Means. General Kellogg, thank you so much for being with us on this important time. Thanks, Rita. Thanks for having me. Good to be there. What do you think is ahead, sadly, for Ukraine? And where do you see sort of the next few days, next few weeks potentially going? Yeah, unfortunately, Rita, I think we're at the end of uh, uh, the first act. Uh, It's sort of like we're at the end of the beginning because now the next phase is going to start. And the next phase is going to be the encirclement and shelling of cities, major cities of millions of inhabitants, because that's how the Russians fight. Uh, and and you're going to see a lot of casualties because the Ukrainians aren't going to declare Kiev an open city. They're going to fight for every block and every house uh, in the city, which will mean that knowing the way the Russians fight, it'll kind of rubble the city. But then there's going to be other acts that follow that. Then the act is, what about do we do what follows is with Zelensky? Are they going to decapitate the government? And what I mean by that is, change the government, change who's in charge, who's in power. And then the next phase after that will be, okay, what about Western Ukraine? Because right now he's committed almost 90% of his forces, if all the reports are correct, into the the fight in the eastern part of Ukraine. He doesn't have the legs, the the amount of troops you need to get to the Western part. And then, so the question will be, once the world sees Russians rubbling cities, killing not hundreds, but thousands potentially of civilians, what is a, what's the world going to say? Is the world going to finally say, okay, I'm tired of this, enough. And then you go into the next phase after that, and that's the world of escalation. Where do you go with, between nuclear powers? Uh, so I think this thing is, we're just at the end of the first play, uh, first, I'm sorry, first act. Uh, you're going to, this is going to continue at least through March and maybe into April. And then it's, the question is, what happens after that? Simply because we've changed the whole foundation in the face of Europe and the relations with Russia, economically, strategically, politically, militarily, it's all there. And nobody's got a clear crystal ball of how this thing ends. I don't. You know, what's very scary, General Kellogg, too, is the fact that we are still, in a sense, funneling the war machine, as are other countries, too, by purchasing Russian oil. Um, so much of it is, of course, the fact that this president changed the policies from energy independence under President Trump, who you worked under there at the National Security Council. You know, so, OK, so he moves away to now where we are dependent somewhat on Russian oil, as are other countries. And of course, Putin is using that money, I'm sure, for military and to sustain some of this. Why don't we stop that? That, to me, is such a big question. There are even Democrats in the last 24, 48 hours that have been saying, yes, we should be banning all Russian oil. Yeah, you know, Rita, I, I think keep thinking back to a really great movie called Forrest Gump. And a great line in that movie was, stupid is as stupid does. You know, and we're really there. It's almost like, what are you doing when you bring in 800,000 barrels of Russian oil a day, uh, and then we stop the Keystone XL pipeline, 
And then, you know, when you hear Jan Psaki, the, the press secretary said, well, there's a lot of leases out, out there for him to drill on. Look, I, I came from an oil drilling family. You don't drill on leases if you know there may not be oil there. You're looking for a profit incentive. So you said you're telling these oil companies to go wildcat, go try to find the oil. Well, <laughs> it just makes no sense. So I, I, it's one of those questions. I'm glad he was asked that. It, may, it makes no sense to do it. I think that hopefully the Europeans are now starting to see uh, the importance of putting a squeeze on on energy from from Russia. You know, 60% of the energy that goes into Europe comes out of Russia. You know, over um, 40% of the uh, energy that comes into Germany comes out of Russia to, you know, just go cold turkey and say, we're not going to do it. It's going to cause some tremendous reverberations. I understand that economically. But this is something that just can't stand. You know, Ukraine is a sovereign, independent, democratically elected nation with its leadership. And we shouldn't allow this to stand. We just have to figure a way to do it. You know, here's what I would have done. I would have, if I was President Biden, I would have grabbed all my national security advisors, you know, put them together in a room in the executive office building on the fifth floor, which is out of, out of sight of everybody, you know, feed them uh, cold pizza and warm beer and say, come up with a bunch of solutions and tell me where I go. He needs to do that. We were late providing support to the Ukrainians. Even Zelensky said that today. And we got to figure a way where we go next. Absolutely. And what do you think of the idea of the fact is, just as you're saying, for months, you know, it seemed like Putin was telegraphing he's going to do this. He wrote it basically in a manifesto, if you will, in July. Then he came out and pronounced it to the world. I find it almost inconceivable when I heard this week President Biden saying, oh, we were ready. We were prepared. Well, if you really were ready and you really were prepared, just as you said, why didn't we supply the Ukrainians months ago? Maybe it would have thwarted Putin. Yeah, that's that's a garbage statement because it's not true. We didn't provide them the equipment when we could have. Look, one thing I know from being in the White House for four years and having our conversations with Putin or listening to the president have conversations, Putin doesn't bluff. He never has. And when he made that manifesto back at the Munich Security Conference a few years ago and saying he was going to go into Ukraine, everybody should have been paying attention. And we had an opportunity when he started loading up forces months ago. We should have been responding quid pro quo. We said, you know, you put a battalion tactical group here. You know, we give them air defense capability or some type of offensive capability. Or we bring back pilots from Ukraine back to the United States and train them in A-10 Warthogs, you know, the great air-to-ground system that we've got, that are that it's a tank-killing system. And we didn't do that. And because they were, quote, afraid of escalation, we don't want to threaten the Russians. Well, look, look where we're at today. We should have done it. We didn't do it. Even Zelensky has criticized us for that. Yeah, he sure has. And has, he's been pleading from the bunker. Um, is there any doubt in your mind that we would be in a different situation if it was President Trump? Because my sense, and you know President Trump, too, that my sense, President Trump would have said, Putin, first of all, don't do it. Putin would have been worried what Trump was going to do. He doesn't seem to be concerned or worried about the West. Yeah, you know, I, I, I used to say about Trump, it's, it's either he was irrationally rational or rationally irrational, one of the two. The fact is, you know, it, it's, it, it's the proof's in the pudding. Look, in four years, there was no country taken over by Russia, no sovereign country. You go back before that, and he's the first president in four presidents. That that never happened. That Russia didn't do that because when you look at what he did in uh, Chechnya, it leveled Grozny, took took it then. And that was under Bush. 
And then you see what he did under Obama and Biden when he took Crimea. He did nothing for four years with Trump. And then Trump leaves, and after Afghanistan, the debacle there, he comes in under President Biden and takes, tries to take Ukraine. And I think he did that because he was honestly afraid of it. And I'll give you a, very quickly a story that kind of emphasizes that. Early on, when Assad of Syria used sarin nerve gas against civilians, he had crossed a red line that Obama had drawn, and Obama didn't respond to once he used that sarin gas. But when he did that on Trump's watch, Trump said, ooh, this is a little bit too far. You know, sarin nerve gas is a nerve gas that was developed by the Nazis in World War II, and they never used it because it was so deadly, which is shocking in and of itself. They did it. We ended up putting about 75 Tomahawk landing attack missiles on the airfield where the sarin nerve gas came from and with the airplanes it came from. That was a Russian airfield. And we were, we knew what we were doing. And we sent a note to Putin. We said, well, if we get some Russians, sorry, but you did something we told you not to do. You did it, and we're not going to tolerate it. Those were, And we set that on. We did that on several occasions. So Putin had to say to himself, okay, I'm just not sure what this guy's going to do, so I'm just going to leave it alone for right now. Right, and I think we would be in a different place. You know, you have um, you know spent time um, with Putin, um, heard the president talking with Putin. Do you think, that they kind of describe him as a different bit of a Putin now, um, unhinged. And they have these meetings where he's at the end of the table and all his generals or the security guys are far away on the other end of the table. They think some of it may be COVID, some may be paranoia. Is it a, a different Putin or is this sort of the Putin you expected? I think it's a combination of both, Rita, but I, but I, but I think he believes he's very, very isolated. Look, he had a, it wasn't a, you know, just a, slap on the back relationship with Trump, but there was a relationship there. As General Mattis said to me one day in the Situation Room, I hate the SOBs, but we live on the same planet. But look, when you've got a president of the United States, the other major nuclear power says to him, you have no soul, and he doesn't like him. Well, you've now cut off any type of dialogue between Putin and between the president of the United States. So he began to feel, I'm sure, isolated. That in, in, you know, it's, there's human dynamics and leadership. And I think that is part and parcel to what's happening. Now, he may have had some issues with COVID or had some others, but I think the guy feels like he's totally isolated. And when you isolate somebody like that and give him no escape route, then something dangerous can happen. And I think we're seeing that. So I don't know if something has changed him physically, but he's not the same guy that I was on 18 different phone calls with him, with President Trump as a listener. And he never sounded like that at all. And, and the president would always push back on him. And, and the president was good about that and because he did this to everybody else. He'd pick up the phone and call him. Uh, and I don't know, but I just think there's a, a lot of things that have played into it. But he's reacting as, as a Russian. Uh, when I go back and read my Russian history, it's sort of like a Peter the Great. And the fact that this Peter, this current day, Peter the Great, is nuclear weapons. That should have a really very concern. Yeah, absolutely. He seems uh, desperate. And like you just said, when somebody like that gets pushed into a corner, that is a frightening proposition. Um, your thoughts about why this is so important. I want to remind everybody why it is so important um, for our country, why we all need to care, because it's not only horrible to see the images, but why should Americans very much be concerned? Yeah, you know, because I'm an America first guy and I've been America first with the president, but America first does not mean isolation. And it doesn't mean America first alone. It means we take care of our people first before we go out and, and work with others. And the reason that it, it hits for Americans is because 
it hits the lifestyle and who we are, both economically and politically and diplomatically and militarily. It does affect every single person in the United States. If you don't believe me, go on and see how much it's going to cost you to fill your car with gas. That's because we've done a lot on it with the effect of energy and the threats that, that we're now facing. So it does affect the United States of America. And, and frankly, for the first time in a long term, time, Europe has stepped up. And I was always pushing back. And until Europe steps up, you know, I'm just very concerned about it. Well, they're starting to step up. So, well, it's about time. Okay, now that you're there, and, and it's, uh, we look at it in the way that you're supporting what we're trying to do, they should be concerned about it because you can't let this in a civilized world. You cannot let this degrade to a point where you you see on television real time, you know, cities that have democratically elected governments where civilians are fodder, and we don't, we're not brought up that way. We never have been brought up that way, and and, uh, and Trump, to his credit, saw that. I mean, they, we, we would always strike back when we were threatened, and and we'll try. And right now, we have the potential to be threatened, and when. Somebody like Putin says, well, it could be nuclear. I'm almost tempted to say, okay, we're game on. We're all in. Because if you want to be the big bully, you're not facing one nuclear power in the United States. You're facing multiple. You're facing the French and you're facing the British as well. And this is a fight you cannot win. Uh, and he needs to be pushed back on is it. Is there a lot of chance of escalation? Of course there is. But you've got to ask yourself a question, to what end? And finally, do you have to make that call? And that's an American first cause. And that's the way uh, Trump would have reacted as well. I'm absolutely positive of that. Absolutely. Yeah. A bully only understands force and also someone who is strong on the other end, too. Um, General Keith Kellogg, thank you so much for being here. And also, everybody, again, not only a former great national security advisor to Vice President Pence and Trump, but also the author of War by Other Means. Thank you for being here at this very pivotal time and all that you do to keep us safe in this country and beyond. Yeah, thanks, Rita. Thanks for having me. And everybody, I'll be back soon with another great edition of Protecting America. And of course, you can catch me every weeknight, 10 p.m. to midnight on the legendary WABC Radio. This is Rita Cosby, and thanks for all you do to protect America. This is Greg Kelly for Priority Gold. What does it mean to be America's precious metals dealer? It means that you're in touch with the hearts and minds of those who love this country, value our freedom, and want to protect the future. Priority Gold is that precious metals dealer. They've helped thousands of Americans back their retirement with solid gold and silver. Call Priority Gold at 888-506-6439. Receive free shipping, free storage, a free investment guide, and one of the best purchase experiences in the industry. Call now or go to PriorityGold.com.